Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. And I'll return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together, we can make a difference. Tired of the same old you? Tired of being out of shape and out of luck with the opposite sex? Tired of being overweight and underattractive? Yeah! Oh, hello. I'm White Goodman, owner, operator, and founder of Globo Gym America Corp. And I'm here to tell you that you don't have to be stuck with what you got. Hey, Rory, looking good. Here at Globo Gym, we understand that ugliness and fatness are genetic disorders, much like baldness or necrophilia. And it's only your fault if you don't hate yourself enough to do something about it. And that's where we come in. <laughs> Globo Gym employs a highly trained, quasi-cultural staff of personal alteration specialists. And with our competitively priced on-site cosmetic surgery, we can turn that Frankenstein you see in the mirror every morning into a Frankenstein. Of course, you'll still be you in a legal sense, but think of it as a thinner, more attractive, better you than you could ever become without us. How do I know? Well, I'm not only the founder of Globo Gym, I'm also a client. That's me six years and 600 pounds ago, before I knew how much I hated myself. In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 149, Dodgeball, a true underdog story. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. That's a bold strategy card and let's see how it plays out for us. Welcome to Verbal Diorama, to everyone listening to this podcast, whether you're a brand new listener, whether you are a long time listener. Thank you so much for being here and for joining me for this podcast. No matter how you found this podcast, I am so delighted to have you here for the history and legacy of Dodgeball, aka Dodgeball, a true underdog story. I'm probably just going to call it Dodgeball for the duration of this episode. And obviously that is the movie Dodgeball and not the sport Dodgeball. We all know that opium addicted Chinese men created the sport by throwing severed heads. Or did they? 
And this is a movie that you wouldn't think has a fascinating story behind its conception, but it actually really does. But before I go into dodgeball, I just want to say a huge thank you to everyone who's listened to the previous episodes that I did on Starship Troopers and The Crow. And honestly, this is going to be something a little bit more lighter and a little bit more fun. And this is a 2000s comedy in the vein of most 2000s comedy. But arguably, it's a movie that's fared a little better with the passage of time than most 2000s comedy. So this genuinely is a true underdog story because this is a first-time writer and director who basically ended up getting everything he wanted on his first feature. It ended up being a huge hit and it basically led to more huge hits for him. So before we go into the trailer, let's remember the five Ds of dodgeball. Dodge, duck, dip, dive and diorama. Here's the trailer for Dodgeball. 1954, a simpler time. Dodgeball is a sport of violence, exclusion, and degradation. A more innocent time. Make sure you pick the bigger, stronger kids for your team. That way, you can all gang up on the weaker ones. Oh, you're out for a dodgeball! Today, there are those who are born to be champions. Here at Globo Gym, we're better than you, and we know it. <laughs> and then, there are these guys. Boom, 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 boom. Do you know why I'm here? Now, do you mean cosmically? You have 30 days to pay off your mortgage or you lose your gym. Who'd want to buy this place anyway? <laughs> okay, we can't just let Globo Gym take us over. If there was any way in the world we could raise $50,000, we could play dodgeball. Line up, ladies! The name's Patches O'Houlihan, and I'm your new coach. You gotta get angry! Guess I'm not really an angry person. Yeah. <laughs> Are you angry now? 20th Century Fox invites you... Welcome to this year's Las Vegas Dodgeball Open. ...to experience the world of dodgeball. There's a souvenir for a lucky fan. ...with the ultimate underdogs. The real team needs real uniforms. I hope they fit. Nice. You should quit now. I think I'll take my chances in the tournament. Yeah, you will take your chances. That's what I just said. That's what I'm saying to you. All right? Touche. Vince Vaughn. You dig me? You do have brief moments where you're not completely... When I'm not completely what? Pathetic. Ben Stiller. We should mate. What? I said we should date. I just threw up in my mouth a little bit. Christine Taylor. <laughs> you like the rough stuff, huh? Real. Freaking naughty. Oh, no! This summer... I love you! I love you, Joni loves Chachi! Grab life. <laughs> by the balls. You ready for the... <laughs> hurricane. Pepper ah! <laughs> needs new shorts! <laughs> well, at least that wasn't weird. Dodgeball, a true underdog story. You can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. What? <laughs> Globo Gym. They understand what it's like to be at the pinnacle of physical prowess and perfection. Founded and run by White Goodman, it's not so much a gymnasium, but a lifestyle choice. Put down that donut, do 10 more press-ups. At Average Joe's Gym, they know everyone is perfect just as they are, but if you fancy losing a few pounds and gaining new friends, it's the perfect place for you. Its founder, Peter LaFleur, is a charismatic underachiever and procrastinator who unfortunately can't keep his accounts in check. 
White Goodman intends to take over Average Joe's and Peter will forfeit his business unless they can raise $50,000 by the end of the month. The answer? An international dodgeball tournament. The problem? None of them know how to play dodgeball. We'll quickly run through the cast. We have Vince Vaughan as Peter Lafleur, Christine Taylor as Kate Veach, Ben Stiller as White Goodman, Rip Torn as Patches O'Houlihan, Justin Long as Justin Redman, Stephen Root as Gordon Pibb, Alan Tudyk as Steve the Pirate, Gar, Joel David Moore as Owen Dittman, Chris Williams as Dwight Baumgarten, Missy Pyle as Fran, <laughs> okay, let's see if I can get this, Fran Stalinovskov, no, Fran Stalinovskovich David Davitsky. That is probably the best I'm going to do. Jamal Duff as Michelle Jones, Gary Cole as Cotton McKnight, and Jason Bateman as Pepper Brooks, featuring cameos from Hank Azaria as young Patches O'Houlihan, William Shatner as the Dodgeball Chancellor, Lance Armstrong as himself, Chuck Norris as himself, and David Hasselhoff as himself, the coach of the German Dodgeball team. Dodgeball, a true underdog story, was written and directed by Rawson Marshall Ferber. And as the late great Patches O'Houlihan once said, if you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. But how did the sport of dodgeball actually start? Do we need to go to ancient China with those opium-addicted men throwing severed heads? Dodgeball can't be a sport rooted in death, can it? Well, that's not all that far from the actual truth. The sport of dodgeball originated not in China, but in Africa. It wasn't called dodgeball, and they didn't actually dodge balls, but it was rather a training ritual, a preparation for battle, where players threw large rocks and stones at each other with the goal being to injure your opponent and then to finish him off with more stones. That bit in the movie where Patches O'Houlihan suggests you find the stronger, bigger players and see off the weaker ones, it kind of has precedence. This was done to identify the weaker members of the tribe as well as help the strong, capable members to bond while hurling heavy rocks at the weaklings. It was Dr James Carlyle, a missionary working in Africa in the 19th century, who came upon these games and watched them with both a genuine interest and morbid fascination. The game taught the players to be fit, agile and quick, and when Dr Carlyle returned to his teaching position at St Mary's College in Norfolk, he taught his students a much less brutal version, using a leather ball instead of rocks and also playing this outside. Over the years, the rules of dodgeball were honed when Yale University students and faculty visited St Mary's College among them, Philip Ferguson, the man credited with bringing dodgeball to the US. He wanted to make the game more challenging, fun and fast-paced. He introduced moving the sport indoors, confining players to their territorial sides, having six rubber balls, six players on each team and establishing the rules of play. It was Ferguson who introduced collegiate dodgeball, spreading the sport across the United States where it was picked up across the school system as a gym class sport. Papers have been written about the psychological impact dodgeball can have on its players. Going back to its African roots, it very much separates the wheat from the chaff. It's been called legalised bullying, but it's also recognised as doing you good and teaching resilience, as well as being fast-paced cardio. Several reports, including the 1986 article, Premeditated Murder, Let's Bump Off Kill a Ball, and the 1992 article, The Physical Education Hall of Shame, helped open eyes to the psychological impact that playing dodgeball may have on some students. Beginning in the late 1990s and early 2000s, schools across the country started banning dodgeball from gym classes. And then, in 2004, we got a movie all about dodgeball, which not only shed light on the little-known world of professional dodgeball, 
but also helped establish not the American Dodgeball Association of America, but the National Dodgeball League in the US the same year the movie was released, which has two professional leagues, National Conference and American Conference, and 24 professional teams play each other. In another remarkable turn of events, the National Dodgeball League hosts the annual Amateur Dodgeball World Championship in, where else, but Las Vegas. To my knowledge, the National Dodgeball League has never credited the movie for its creation, but the dates seem more than just coincidence. Just on a side note as well, every four years, St Mary's College in Norfolk, which is here in the UK if you don't know, hosts Yale University dodgeball players for a friendly game to commemorate the sport's origins in Africa. And if we're being honest and we're talking about sports movies and movies in general, comedy and sport has always gone well together. It's never not going to be funny to see someone get hit in the face or the delicate areas by a ball. It's a, a tale as old as time, you might say. Not to mention the copious amounts of ball jokes you could get away with. And Rawson Marshall Thurber knew this when he started writing what was then called Underdogs in 2001. He was a huge fan of sports comedies like Stripes and Caddyshack, and he wanted to write a similar sports comedy that didn't take itself or its sport too seriously, while also simultaneously paying homage to other sports movies like Rocky and Bill Durham. Another source of inspiration was Eric Schlosser's Fast Food Nation, the non-fiction bestseller about the modern obsession with greasy, ready-made cuisine. That was published in 2001, and Fast Food Nation sold more than 1.4 million copies within five years. And this left plenty of fingerprints on Thurber's script. He told Film Freak Central in 2014, I really took a cue from that. There's an absolute love-fear relationship thing in our culture. We're so weight-conscious, so image-conscious, so youth-orientated, and wrapped up with all that psychosis are these ad images of it being so cool and all-American and sexy to eat at McDonald's and drink pop and all that. It pulls people in all sorts of different directions. So I wanted White Goodman to be sitting there with a donut and the car battery attached to his nipples. That situation with food, with sports, with so much of our culture, it's already almost too surreal to satirise. Rawson Marshall Thurber's first taste of success was a series of comedy shorts called Terry Tate, Office Linebacker, in which an American football linebacker dishes out the pain to his office colleagues who were lazy or make too many mistakes. Terry Tate would smash through cubicles and tackle employees to the ground in a series released between 2000 and 2003, paving the way for what was to come. Thurber started writing the script for Dodgeball without an agent and gained an agent based on the strength of the script. Setting underdogs in the cutthroat world of international amateur Dodgeball caused an issue though, because while sports movies generally did good business, they were well-known sports. Basketball, baseball, American football, actual football, aka soccer. The script was sent to every studio in Hollywood and everyone rejected it. A dodgeball movie just wasn't going to sell. They thought it was funny, but didn't want a movie focused on dodgeball. Because there was no precedent set for how well a dodgeball movie would do, because there hadn't been one. So no one was willing to take a chance on a dodgeball movie. Thurber's agent sent the script to Red Hour, the production company owned by Ben Stiller, and the late Stuart Kornfeld. The script went from the receptionist, who loved it, to an executive who loved it, to Stuart Kornfeld, who loved it, who passed it on to Ben Stiller, who also loved it from the get-go and backed the project and Thurber 100%. And having Ben Stiller on his side proved fruitful, especially when Thurber then said he wanted to also direct the movie. Something very few writers, especially first-time writers, are able to do on their first big Hollywood production. 
Thurber stuck to his guns and with the backup of Stiller, along with a reduction in Stiller's salary, managed to not only get Fox on their side, but also agree to Thurber's directorial debut being a movie about dodgeball, a sport that many had played at school and absolutely hated. Ironically, Thurber had written the character of White Goodman with Ben Stiller in mind, and despite Stiller's busy schedule, he had six movies out in 2004. He agreed to not only produce, but star in the movie. Thurber had written the part of Peter Lafleur as a Bill Murray type, but with Vince Vaughn in mind. Pretty much all of Rawson Marshall Thurber's dreams were coming true. His dodgeball movie was being made, he had Ben Stiller, he got Vince Vaughn. The icing on the cake for him was Justin Long. The character of Justin Redman was also written with Justin Long in mind, following his debut role in The Excellent Galaxy Quest, which is episode 54 of this podcast, and I am a huge fan of Galaxy Quest. Justin Long isn't the only thing that this movie shares with Galaxy Quest either. Director of photography Jerzy Zielinski did the cinematography on both Galaxy Quest and Dodgeball. Stiller, for his part, channeled his previous role in Heavyweights, as well as his impression of Tony Robbins from The Ben Stiller Show for the role of White Goodman. Not only did Stiller star and produce, he also had an uncredited role helping to rewrite the script, including changing the character of Fran from a robot to an actual human woman. The excellent and highly, highly underrated Christine Taylor came on board just a year after having a baby. That is her and Ben Stiller's baby, as a matter of fact. The two were married in 2000 after meeting on the set of a TV pilot called Heat Vision and Jack in 1999 that never aired and also starred together in Zoolander in 2001. Christine Taylor, if you haven't seen the Brady Bunch movie, please go and watch it. It's so underrated as a movie in general, but Christine Taylor is generally really underrated as an actor in Hollywood. Her turn as Holly in The Wedding Singer is similarly great. And to be honest, I love that in this movie, Christine Taylor can love a man so much she can marry him, have his baby, and then look actually distressed and alarmed in his presence, as well as throw up in her mouth convincingly when he asks her to mate, I mean, date him. Christine Taylor is brilliant in everything she does. I absolutely love her and she deserves so much more credit than she actually gets as an actor. Speaking of Zoolander, because Zoolander itself is a hilarious and quite biting satire of the fashion industry, Dodgeball is also an effective satire of the fitness industry, as well as commenting on sports broadcasting, corporate America, male virility and health and diet trends. The broadcasting comments made by Cotton McKnight and Pepper Brooks are actually based on real comments made by real commentators commenting on real sporting events. Ouch town, bro. Population you. My absolute favourite as well, Alan Tudyk, was just coming off the first and unfortunately final series of Joss Whedon's excellent sci-fi TV show Firefly, which also consisted of pirates, but in space. It's suggested by many that Steve the Pirate was a war veteran suffering from PTSD. However, Tudyk has always said he didn't want to put words in the mouths of PTSD-suffering veterans. Tudyk was fairly vocal about not liking the script for Dodgeball initially, and would say that 80-90% to 90 of his lines were grr or arg, and that it was all about the quality of your girls and args. Grr. <laughs> Arg. Steve the Pirate. Grr. Hank Azaria was cast as the young Pachiso Hulahan, and his scenes were some of the first filmed as his instructional video on how to play dodgeball. When veteran actor Rip Torn came on board, no effort was made to ensure the two characters sounded alike, 
Because let's be honest, it's funnier if they don't. Azaria put on a Clark Gable sounding voice alluding to the old ads of the 50s. And I don't know if anyone else picked up on this, but the movie is actually set in 1993. Although it doesn't make that completely clear, except for a line where White shows a photo of himself in 1987 and says that was six years ago. That is literally the only thing that sets this movie in 1993. To prepare themselves for the movie, all of the cast took part in a month's worth of dodgeball training, attending the gym several times a week to play and practice dodgeball, which was physically exhausting for them all. And filming a sport like dodgeball, known for its violence, meant that injuries were commonplace. Justin Long suffered a cut eyebrow when hit with a prop wrench, which was made out of rubber, but still hard enough to draw blood. Nobody makes Justin Long bleed his own blood. <laughs> I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. He also suffered a minor concussion during the filming of the training montage after being repeatedly hit by dodgeballs. Ben Stiller hit his own wife, Christine Taylor, twice in the face with a dodgeball. And when Kate Beach tells Peter LaFleur to kick his ass, it's almost like Christine Taylor actually means it. It wasn't just people who got injured either. Ben Stiller reportedly broke three different cameras with dodgeballs. And the hardest part of filming the movie was that the actors knew they were going to be hit with dodgeballs but had to, you know, act and not flinch when they knew a ball was coming. With a cast of comedy greats, improv was encouraged on set, with Ben Stiller taking full advantage. Rawson Marshall Thurber would go on record to say that although he had scripted lines for White Goodman, there was no way he wasn't going to take full advantage of having Ben Stiller's comedy chops in the movie without letting him go on that full improv range. And basically, he wasn't going to tell Ben Stiller not to stray from the script, because you wouldn't. When it came to the famous cameos, Chuck Norris would have had to drive for three hours to Long Beach, California for his short cameo. And he didn't fancy that. He turned the cameo down and Ben Stiller begged him to reconsider. Norris's wife suggested the production send a helicopter for the return journey instead. So Norris asked whether he could have a helicopter pick him up. The official line was that they did send a helicopter, but I think we all know the helicopter was so scared of Norris that it flew over in complete submission. Where David Hasselhoff was concerned, his appearance was last minute after stunt coordinator Alex Daniel mentioned he knew the Hoff. They called him and he was available to shoot a cameo as the German coach, which is a nod to the fact that David Hasselhoff is a huge pop star in Germany. And while back in 2004, the Lance Armstrong cameo is supposed to be uplifting and heartfelt. The revelations about his doping would come to light shortly after, and he's since been disgraced, he's been banned from the sport, and stripped of his seven Tour de France titles, as well as his Olympic bronze medal from the 2000 Summer Olympics. The original ending of the movie would have Average Joes being beaten by the Globo Gym Purple Cobras. And I've spoken about test audiences on a couple of episodes in the past and how test audiences can make a movie worse, but also how test audiences can make a movie better. And this was most recently seen in the episode that I did on My Best Friend's Wedding, which the test audiences changed that movie for the better. And I really feel like they changed this movie for the better as well, because the ending was reshot to show Average Joe's prevailing. And while, yes, that is a cliche that the underdogs do win, I think it really helps this movie because this movie is all about those cliches and really leaning into those cliches. And honestly, I don't think it would have worked as a comedy if Globo Jim had have actually won. And while you wouldn't think a little movie about dodgeball would do particularly much for the sport, this one ended up doing quite a lot. Not only did the sport of dodgeball become more popular, creating an entire American league, as I said, 
But in honour of the fictional ESPN8, the Ocho, the college sports channel ESPNU temporarily rebranded as ESPN8, the Ocho, on the 8th of August 2017 for one day, focusing on covering marathons of obscure and unconventional sports, including trampolining, darts, roller derby, and of course, dodgeball. They repeated the event two years later on ESPN2, and again during the coronavirus pandemic due to a lack of live sport. The ESPN8 The Ocho broadcasts also included airings of dodgeball. But making a movie about dodgeball didn't come without its controversies. An unproduced screenplay written just before Rawson Marshall Thurber's, simply called Dodgeball the Movie by David Price and Ashoka Thomas, led to a 2005 lawsuit in federal court citing copyright infringement. They alleged similarities in the plot, as well as Thurber possibly having access to read their screenplay, meaning that they believed Thurber had plagiarised their screenplay for Dodgeball. The judge overseeing the suit ordered a jury trial, but the lawsuit was later settled out of court for an undisclosed but favourable amount. And as I said, Rawson Marshall Thurber has since gone on to direct some huge movies, like We're the Millers, Central Intelligence, Skyscraper and Red Notice, the latter three with Dwayne Johnson. But it all started with him having some extremely large balls, literally and figuratively. And really, you've kind of got to say, well, good for him, because look at what he's managed to achieve just by the tiny little sports comedy that he made in 2004. And I don't really want to segue into the obligatory Keanu reference with large balls. But, um, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if Keanu Reeves has very large balls, but I guess he does. He's made some risky moves in Hollywood. Um, anyway, getting kind of embarrassed now. But let's move over to the obligatory Keanu reference. So this is a part of this podcast where I try and link the movie that I'm featuring with Keanu Reeves. And now Keanu is not in Dodgeball. And he's not really known much for his comedic roles. But he did star in a 2001 sports drama called Hardball, where he's also in debt, just like Peter Lafleur, and ends up coaching a young black baseball team with a cast including a young Michael B. Jordan. There's not really much comedy in it by all accounts. I've not seen it. So there's no grabbing life by Keanu's balls. There's no jokes about touching his balls. It's a very serious drama. <laughs> No getting freaking on it <laughs> with Keanu today. As much as I would like to get freaking on it, uh, there's none of that. No, no more jokes about balls, guys. <laughs> okay, I told you I was going to have a little bit of fun with this episode and I really do feel like I am. Right, <laughs> let's move on. So when Dodgeball was released, it was released on the 18th of June 2004. It hit number one in its first week. It beat out The Terminal. The following week, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2 was released. And that pushed Dodgeball down to third. But Dodgeball would continue to do well on good word of mouth. It would end up staying in the US top 10 for six weeks. And really, considering Dodgeball was a relatively unknown sport, the movie did incredibly well. It would go on to a US domestic gross of $114.3 million dollars with $54 million internationally for a worldwide total of $168.4 million on a budget of only $20 million. So this movie made serious bucks. Critically, it did really well as well. And comedy is hardly something that's highly regarded by critics. But Dodgeball is rated higher by critics than other 
comedy stablemates at the time. So Zoolander and Anchorman are actually rated lower by critics than Dodgeball. Dodgeball actually has 71% of Rotten Tomatoes, which I was genuinely surprised about because critics don't tend to like balls-to-the-wall comedy very much, especially physical comedy. But I guess, you know, sports where balls fly at people's faces or their privates generally, they're funny. And I guess even critics like to laugh sometimes. And obviously, with a movie that made so much money and was such a huge financial success, in 2013, it was reported a sequel to Dodgeball was underway, written by Clay Tarver and with both Ben Stiller and Vince Vaughn returning. However, when he was asked, Stiller confirmed he had no knowledge of a sequel. The primary cast of Ben Stiller, Vince Vaughn, Christine Taylor, Justin Long, Missy Pyle and Jamal Duff did reunite in 2017 for a video announcing an Omaze competition to play dodgeball with either White Goodman's Purple Cobras or Peter Lafleur's Average Joes to raise money for the Stiller Foundation. And this movie, as a Fox movie, is available now on Disney+. Plus, Which is great because the more people who get to see this movie, the better. And when I sat down to watch this movie, I mistakenly thought that it had been edited for content due to some scenes that I very vividly remember being removed. So I did a little bit of investigation because I was like, why are Disney Plus censoring this movie? And it turns out that Disney Plus has the theatrical version of the movie. I've only ever seen the unrated DVD version, aka the I'm not wearing any panties version, as I like to call it, because that was the first scene that stood out to me that it wasn't in the version that's on Disney Plus. Anyway, just to make it clear, the version on Disney Plus is not edited for content. It is the theatrical version, but I think the unrated version is a hell of a lot funnier and I would absolutely recommend that one. If you have access to the unrated DVD version, you should definitely watch that one instead. But if you haven't seen Dodgeball for a while, please go watch it on Disney+. Plus. Genuinely, laugh out loud funny. I find this movie very amusing. I guess I'm just a bit of a child, but I just do. Let's move on to what people think of this movie, social media thoughts. I like to ask on Patreon and on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook, find out what people think of the movie. But I always start with the wonderful patrons of this podcast. And we're going to start with the wonderful Scott, who said, Long overdue a rewatch around my way. I hope it still holds up because I don't want to sully the memory of it as an endlessly quotable slice of daft fun filled with so many great scene seeding turns and painfully hilarious physical comedy. I hope I did your gar right. We also have a comment from Andy, perennial commenter Andy. That's his new name. I always call him perennial commenter Andy. Andy says, This is one of the films that signalled the mass gasps of the high concept comedy genre, which essentially ended with The Hangover, but what a way to go out. A truly hilarious movie that leans on every single person's comedic strengths, including the hilarious Alan Tudyk as Steve the Pirate. Imminently quotable. In fact, I recently used the five Ds during a professional training class I was teaching and offers comedy that hits all of the sweet spots. And for a mid-aughts comedy, the only thing that's dating it is the inclusion of Lance Armstrong. I'd call that a win in my book. What does effing Chuck Norris have to say? And to be honest, I think that Chuck Norris would give the thumbs down for the Lance Armstrong cameo because... It's really not aged all that well. But, you know, at the time, Lance Armstrong was a hero to so many people. And, yeah, basically what we're saying, kids, is don't do performance-enhancing drugs. We also have a page comment from Ian who says, What a brilliant film. So much fun from beginning to end. Is it me or does Rick Torn completely steal the film with his performance as the coach? 
And I do think Rip Torn does steal this movie. And what also I find hilarious about this movie, and I know I probably shouldn't, because his character dies two thirds of the way into the movie. Patches O'Houlihan gets crushed by a sign and literally nothing kind of happens. There's like no mourning period. There's nothing. He just gets hit by a sign. And then it's like, oh, we've got no patches anymore. But I genuinely think that adds to the comedy of this movie. And also it adds to the stakes as well, because without Patches O'Houlihan, how are they going to win this dodgeball tournament? So yeah, Rip Torn is great in this movie. Moving over to Twitter, we're going to start with at Toxic Death, who said, This is a grower. The first time I didn't find it funny, but I kept thinking about some of the jokes. And when I rewatched it, I found it so much funnier. Also knowing that Ben Stiller and Christine Taylor are in a relationship makes their interactions even funnier. At that F-King guy, I've got to be careful how I say that, at that F-King guy says, If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. At Cage underscore podcast said, Used to love this movie. It was so silly and fun and then Chuck Norris turns up. What a ride. At the CGT says, I think it's hilarious. I love the seriousness with which they approach the stupidity of the premise, a professional dodgeball tournament and how they run with it. Vaughn is okay as the straight guy, but Stiller steals every scene and the sportscaster bits are hilarious. At Mr. London underscore NCB said, It's no kingpin. Still the pinnacle of a sporting underdog story, but it's still great fun nonetheless. On a sour note, it does let itself down with its cheap stereotyping of pirate culture. I like to think we live in more enlightened times now. Gah. I've actually never seen Kingpin. So, uh, yeah, maybe I need to rectify that. At Needed Roads put up a gif saying usually you have to pay double for that kind of action, Cotton. Which is true. At Next to the Isle said, For me, this is one of the best comedies of the 21st century. Consistently funny, great top-to-toe cast, absurdist humour to the max, great cameos, constantly rewatchable. At UK Film Nerd said, The US cut of Dodgeball was slightly different to the international cut. I was sad to discover the kiss between Justin and Amber was missing, which sets up the shot of Amber being pregnant at the end. I noticed this after importing the R1 DVD after seeing the film at the cinema. At Spit Grade said, Questioning people's balls. And then includes a gif of, that's a bold strategy, Cotton. And at Connections Cult said, Mostly harmless. Moving over to Instagram, at Vegemorph said, One of my favourite sports movies and so hilarious. I'd love to see a sequel to this and it really sparked my interest in the game of dodgeball. They briefly made a dodgeball competition game show to accompany the movie, which is so much fun. And honestly, I did not know that. So there you go. Learn something else today. And at Friendly Sparpod said, This movie doesn't get enough credit, in my opinion, for being a side-splitting hilarious comedy while also being a heartwarming sports movie. Also, before MCU post-credit scenes, there was Ben Stiller in a fat suit. No comments on Facebook, but, you know, no surprise there. But as always, a huge thank you to everyone, to the patrons and to everyone on Twitter and Instagram for their dodge, duck, dip, dive and dodge ball comments. As a 2000s comedy, it's a very typical 2000s comedy. Some of the language in Dodgeball doesn't quite hold up to modern standards, but the comedy, both verbal and physical, absolutely does. Balls are funny. Balls as in balls and balls as in balls. Getting hit with the ball, getting hit in the balls. It makes perfect sense to use Dodgeball in a comedy sports movie. And not only has this movie done so much for the sport of Dodgeball, 
it's also become the definitive dodgeball movie. Unlike other sports, where movies about that sport are ten a penny, you think baseball, there's loads of baseball movies, loads of American football movies, loads of actual football movies, aka soccer. But there's only one dodgeball movie, and there only probably ever will be one dodgeball movie. And I think its charm lies in not just guys being hitting the nuts, but that it wears its heart on its sleeve. The characters are lovable and memorable. And who doesn't love an underdog story? Who doesn't love a David and Goliath story? The good guys win in the end, like I say, it might be a cliche, but you really root for this team and this gym who genuinely cares for its customers and wants the best for them. Vince Vaughn's Everyman Peter LaFleur is the perfect antithesis to Ben Stiller's White Goodman. Not everything in this movie lands perfectly. Some of the language is a little outdated, but sometimes the simplest stories just need good execution. And Dodgeball gives you that. The health and fitness industry is a double-edged sword. They do do good work and they help people stay healthy, but there are so many mixed messages. The whole, you're perfect just as you are message, but also you're kind of too fat and you need to lose weight or you have no work messages. There should be more places out there like Average Joe's. Places of community and fun above serious diets and weight loss. There's a dark and serious undertone to dodgeball, but it never needs to go there. It makes its feelings on the matter crystal clear without hammering at home. Because instead of a hammer, there's a wrench to the face. This is a movie that knows what it is, knows that it's formulaic, but embraces that formula with classic physical humour and sports movie cliches like montages. It doesn't do much to subvert those tropes but sometimes comedy just needs to lean into those tropes. And this one does. I am a huge fan of this movie. And the unrated cut, like I said, is better than the theatrical cut. So make sure you find that unrated cut, guys, because it's really very, very funny. Dodgeball is a sport of violence, exclusion and degradation. It's also crude and silly and pretty perfect. Looks like it's going to be a two-on-one, a menage a trois of pain. Usually you pay double for that kind of action, Cotton. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on Dodgeball. And if you do want to get involved in this podcast and you want to help this podcast grow, then you don't need a ball to the face to do it either. Not that anyone want balls in their faces. Trust me, guys, we do not want balls in our faces. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. Take that however you will. But if you do want to get involved and you want to have comments read out in episodes, all you need to do is comment on the thoughts posts that go up on social media. They normally go up on a Saturday. Leave your comment and I will read it out in the episode. Patrons do support this podcast financially and I'm so grateful for their assistance. But you can support this podcast without paying a single penny. And you can basically also help this podcast to reach more listeners. And the way that you could do that is you could tell your friends and family about this podcast, especially if they like balls in their faces. <laughs> You can also retweet or like post on social media. I am on social media. You can find me at Verbal Diorama on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Or you can leave a rating or review of this podcast wherever you found this podcast. That would be amazing too. If you want to listen to an episode that's similar to this, <laughs> nothing's kind of like this in my repertoire, I'll be honest. But if you enjoy the movie Dodgeball, you might also like one of the following episodes. So I'm going to start with episode 23, Mystery Men. It's another Ben Stiller movie. 
It's also incredibly funny. It's a satire on superheroes, basically, as well as corporate America. It's a lot of fun. It kind of came out at the wrong time. And it's also a movie with a guest. So perennial commenter Andy is actually on that episode. We had a great time talking about Mystery Men. And then several episodes later, he came back to talk about episode 54, Galaxy Quest, which, again, another fantastic comedy, one of the greatest comedies ever made, actually. And we had a great time talking about Galaxy Quest. And both of those movies came out in 1999. That is a complete coincidence that he came on for movies from 1999. But both of those movies are very, very funny. Would actually be great companion pieces for this one. Also, episode 43, A League of Their Own. Now, that's probably the only sports movie that I've done on this podcast. It is probably my favourite sports movie. I'm not a huge fan of baseball, but I am a huge fan of that movie. Makes me cry, although, let's be honest, what doesn't make me cry? And it's just a really great movie based on a true story about the women's baseball leagues during the war. And it's just got some really wonderful performances in that movie. I rate it really, really highly. I'm probably the only person who does, but if you're into sports movies and you like this one, then you may like A League of Their Own. And finally, episode 125, Anchorman. Obviously, Anchorman came out the same year as this movie did. And it was also a movie that Ben Stiller was also in. He cameoed in Anchorman. I actually think this movie is slightly better than Anchorman. I think it holds up better than Anchorman. But when we're talking about guests, on Anchorman, I had a guest on that one as well. It was the wonderful... Nicholas Haskins, who I adore. And we had a wonderful time talking about Anchorman together. So, as always, give me feedback. Let me know if you think I grabbed these recommendations by the balls or did I miss any. Let me know on social media. The next episode is kind of a big deal, actually. So it's episode 150. And every time I've reached a milestone on this podcast, I've always thought to myself, I never thought I'd get that far. So episode 50, I did an episode on Toy Story and that was a huge deal at the time because it's like, I can't believe I've got to 50 episodes of this podcast. And episode 100, I did Avengers Endgame. And again, it was like, I'm, I was never going to get to 100 episodes. And now I'm at 150 episodes. And so there was a lot of choice out there for what I could do for episode 150. And I ended up asking the patrons and patrons gave their suggestions. I got some amazing suggestions for episode 150 and those suggestions have basically gone into the pot and I will get to those movies eventually but ultimately though one stood out as the perfect episode 150 the movie for the episode was suggested by patron Sam thank you so much Sam and Sam Sam knows what I like it's not balls to the face but (laughs) or maybe it is Sam knows that I like animation he knows that I like Keanu Reeves and Surprisingly, he also knows that I like Philip K. Dick novels. And I'm not going to say anything about Philip K. Dick and balls because that would be rude. This is a family-friendly podcast. So the movie that I'm featuring is animated. It has Keanu Reeves and it's an adaptation of a Philip K. Dick novel. And that can only be a scanner darkly. And that is going to be the next episode. It's going to be episode 150 of this podcast. And I cannot wait to talk about A Scanner Darkly because it's a movie that I only saw quite recently. I think it was last year that I saw it for the first time. And I was a little bit blown away by A Scanner Darkly. I think it looks amazing. I think the story is fantastic. It's quite a serious story, obviously, because Philip K. Dick likes to talk about serious topics. But it's got everything this podcast loves. So it was really perfect. So yeah, join me next week 
for episode 150 on a scanner darkly. And if you want to support this podcast like Sam, and if you want to have little perks like being able to suggest episodes and stuff like that, you can sign up to support the show at verbaldiorama.com slash Patreon. Of course, you're under no obligation because this podcast is free and it always will be, but I'm really grateful to the people who support this podcast. So to Simon E, Sade, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Vern, Kristin, Kat, Andy, Mike, Griff, Luke, Emily, Michael, Scott, Brendan, Ian M, Lisa, Sam, Will, Jack, Dave, Chris, Stuart, Ian D, Jason, and a huge welcome and thanks to a brand new patron, Sunny, who's just joined as a Ted Theodore Logan patron. Excellent. I don't think that I'm a lot dumber than you thought that I think that I thought that I was once. I also have a merch store. It's verbaldiorama.com slash merch where you can buy The Mummy inspired t-shirts because The Mummy is the greatest movie ever made. And I am going to be updating that soon with some new designs that are kind of up in the air at the moment, but I've got a good idea of what I want to do. If you want to get in touch, you can say hi. You can give me feedback on my episodes by emailing verbaldiorama at gmail.com. Or you can pop over to my website, verbaldiorama.com, and you can fill out the little contact form on there. And also, I still do bits and pieces for film stories. You can find all of the stuff that I do at filmstories.co.uk. You can buy copies of the magazine. You can also see the articles that I write online. I've actually just started firing up the podcast features again. It took a little bit of a, well, I say brief hiatus. It actually took a month off writing those features just because of everything that's been going on in my life. But I'm now back doing that and I'm really excited to do podcast features. And obviously, if you are a podcast, if you know a podcast, it has to be a British podcast, has to be a movie podcast. But if you haven't been featured or you think someone you know hasn't been featured, then get in touch and let me know and I will add them to my list of potential features. And finally... There's one thumbs up. Good oh. news for Joe's. Oh, please. Let's see how our second judge votes. Thank you for the set. Oh, tough sledding there. It's all even. Their fate hangs on the thumb of our final judge. Thumbs up! Average Joes can play! This dude poppycock! You can let them do that? Thank you, Chuck Norris. Thank you, Peter. Bye. Movie should know. Movie should know.